0: Okay, we pick up today's daf is Yudchet Sota nineteen, and we pick up at the bottom of Yudchet Modbet, and we had just quoted a brayta. Let's uh, read that brayta again quickly, um, just to orient us. Ta- the words are Tanur It's about twelve lines from the bottom, last word on the line. Tanur Rabanan, Zos This is the Torah of uh, jealousy. So the word Torah is a broadening, inclusive word, and Zot is a narrowing um, and limiting word. Milamei Shaisha Shota So the Tanakama focuses on Torah to to allow for multiple occurrences, so that tells you that a woman could be made to drink multiple times after multiple processes. Um, she's suspected, and she drinks once, and then another time she's suspected again, and warned in front of witnesses, and she could be made to drink again. Torah means multiple times. Rabbi Zot, he emphasizes, no, the exclusive excluding word Zot. That we cannot be made to do it multiple times, only once, no double jeopardy. Somebody testified it from us. This, uh, you know, ditch digger that a woman um, would do it multiple times. Um, and there's a question if that means that they had somehow received a tradition um, or they had actually claimed that they had witnessed it. Um, anyway, either way, um, that it actually does happen multiple times. The do so. We were willing to accept the testimony in a limited context. If it's two different husbands, because two different husbands, if it's the same husband suspecting twice, you know... Maybe the problem here is more with the husband than with the woman, but two different husbands, that's already a completely different scenario, um, and therefore it can happen again. So, um, uh, so the Chachamim here seems to take a more uh, radical position than Reb Yehuda, rejecting even this testimony and saying that a woman can never be made to drink again, even if it is a two different husbands. Um, okay, so you have a three-way debate. Now, we could just have left it at that, but the Gemara asks a question because it seems to be based on words in the Pasuk, and they have to be accounted for, and this question will also lead to a greater precision on what is being included or excluded. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says like this, So the Tanakama said that a woman could be made to do it multiple times. He's only focusing on the word Torah. Doesn't he have to account for the word Zot? Doesn't he have to exclude something? And the same question in the reverse for the last position. They say, never do it again. But doesn't the word Torah seem to be including multiple cases? So I'm a rava. So Rava lays out the range of possibilities. On one extreme, the same man and, he, and this woman is being suspected by the same husband, about the same, uh, suspected with the same potential person she's, that the husband thinks she's having an affair with. So in that case, it's really double jeopardy. Everything is the same. He just didn't, well, didn't like the first result, so he's going to do it again. So, and she's already been proven innocent regarding this man. So i am a low the shot Everybody agrees, no double jeopardy. That is the word zot. That is exactly identical circumstances. Everybody agrees that that is excluded. That's one end of the zot. That's one end of the spectrum. Top of your term ralef. B'shnei anashim v'shnei on the other end of the spectrum is all of the circumstances are different. A different husband and suspected of a different, of having a, an affair with a different man. So in there, that case, none of the circumstances are the same. She hasn't been tested regarding, no reason to suspect it's something having to do with a particular husband. There has not been any proof through this SOTA test, with this particular paramour, or suspected paramour, so everything is different. That there is double jeopardy, or not double jeopardy, that can be tried again. Um, that's the inclusive Torah. So everything is the same. One man, one suspected adulterer cannot be tried again. One husband. Everything is different. Different husband, different suspected adulterer can, be, can go through the ceremony a second time. So the first position is that the... So, so the Gemara says like this. So now let's see how that plays out with these three. They debate the middle cases. Two husbands, the same suspected adulterer, or um, one husband, two different suspected adulterers. Torat. Tanakama is the most inclusive. You can do it multiple times. I'm going to focus on the word Torah. Everything she can be tried for again, or a second time, I should say. Zot, the word Zot, the one case that everybody agreed, that is the one case that I will exclude. Same husband, same suspected adulterer. That is exactly identical. That not, but everything else, yes. That's the extreme of allowing it to happen multiple times. The last, Past rabbis who say, never do it again. Um, so We're gonna say everything cannot happen again, except the one extreme case. Different husbands, different paramours, in that case, that is something everything is different will allow. So one approach says, I'll only disallow when everything is exactly the same. Um, the other approach, the rabbanan Basra say, we'll only allow a second time when everything is different. And then you have the middle position of Rebbe Yehuda. Yehuda, Tarti, Torat Tarti. We're going to try to balance two cases included, two cases excluded. Zotlimute Tarti, the two cases that are excluded. The same husband, whether suspecting her of having sex with uh, the same man or with a different man. If it's the same husband, you don't get tried again. Torah, the Torah which says you do can try it again, if it's different husbands then whether it's with the same, suspected with the same man or with a different man, um, the fact that it's different husbands puts it in a completely different set of circumstances. And, you know, this makes sense, right? This, since it's about a relationship with her husband it makes sense that anything, if we're going to exclude a little bit more broad in the cases we don't allow a second time, that it will be cases when it is the same husband suspecting her again, and then also it might have more to do with the husband. But when it's with a different husband, that's already a completely different set of circumstances. And that Rev. Yuta says we will allow twice, even if she's suspected of having it with the same adulterer. Maybe you could actually say, in that case, even more so, you know, why is everybody suspecting her in case of, you know, with this particular man? All right. Anyway, that is the range of positions. Now we start the next parak, third parak. So he would take, now the question is, the he, um, Rashi says it means the husband because it's not yet put into a kli It only once put into a one of the temple, you know, sanctified vessels, is it become the responsibility of the kohen. But the pasuk speaks about also the kohen taking it from her hand. So R- Rashi Tosu says that this actually means the kohen, uh, but he would take it the mincha from um, from this, uh, you know, from this type of a. Um, a, a wicker uh, basket or you know a wicker uh, vessel, vinozna toch and then put it into the holy temple vessel, which would sanctify it, vinozna al and now it would be placed on her hand. The so she gives it back to her. She's now holding it in this cliche, right? It's now in a sanctified mincha. The kohen puts his hand underneath and do and you wave it because the waving both has to be done with the owners and through the kohen. General rule about the thing, when you wave things, um, you know, in the Beit Hamikdash. Heini um, vihigish. So now the Kohain, after does the waving, he he brings it. He like puts it against the altar. Kamatz, he takes the hand breath and then, uh, you know, puts the hand breath onto the, onto the altar and it burns up. And, uh, you know, he causes it to the the it, it to uh, to be offered. And the remainder would be eaten like Kohanim. This is what happens with every Mincha. You, you touch it to the corner of the Mizbeach, you take the hand and you burn that on the fire, and then the Kohanim eats the rest um, in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, now we're going to see about the order, which has been a little bit unclear in the Mishnayot. The Mishnayot never a simple step-by-step. You know, step. Um, they sort of broke it up into components. And now we're going to discuss the order. So the Tanakama says, first she would drink, and then the mincha would be brought. We've seen this position further, and only once the mincha was brought, then it would sort of trigger the effect of the water. Rabbi Shimon said, no, no, no. First the mincha, then the drinking, which sort of makes sense, because, you know, the drinking is sort of the dramatic ending of it. Um, and the Pesach is pretty clear. It says he offers up the mincha, and afterwards he shall cause the woman to drink the water. So it's pretty explicit in the Pesach that that comes second. In but I can see, says Rabbi Shimon, that if you reverse the order, that, um, that you first had her drink and then you did the mincha, the mincha is kosher, and then presumably also the, uh, the effect of the waters would be triggered and would be meaningful once the mincha was brought. So what is this debate about? Because it actually, uh, Rabbi Shimon quotes actually a pasuk, and it seems that all of the evidence, you know, should be with Rabbi Shimon. So we'll see in the Gemara, because the Psukim themselves are actually quite uh, ambiguous or uh, on this point. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Mm-hmm. Rabbi, Lezer said, Rabbi Lezer said to Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshiah of his generation, meaning there was an older Rabbi Yoshaya, um, but this was a colleague. The reason the Gemara emphasizes that this was the Rabbi Yosha that was the colleague is because he's going to be talking to him um, in a little, um, you know, sort of instructive way, which not be uh, appropriate um, to talk to an, uh, an, an elder in that fashion. So here's what he said to him. Don't sit down on your legs, meaning, I, you know, I don't want to see you sitting down. Until you can explain to me this, uh, you know, this following question. So even though the, you know, thing I think that attracted us more immediately in the Mishnah was the question of the order, first we're going to look at the first part of it, which is the waving. How do you know that the waving of a mincha has, how do you know that the mincha of a sota has to be waved? So minalan, what do you mean where do we know it? Okay, it's explicit in the Pasuk. It says the Kohen will wave it. That's right there in the Pasuk. So he says, no, no, no. No, I mean, how do you know that the owner of it has to, meaning the woman, the one who's, it's being brought on her account, how do you know that she has to be part of that waving as well? Because um, yad we make it, because we make from Shulamin. The Kohen should take from the hand of the woman. His hands should bring, you know, the Shlami. Um, and, uh, um, and that's written by the owner's hands, and it's about the part of the shlamim, the chazen, the shok, the breast and like the uh, the uh, leg that would be waved. So, ma um, ka'an kohen, af kohen. Now, we actually learn out both directions because there it speaks only of the owner waving. So by the shlamim, we have a poset that speaks about the owner waving, and by the mincha, we have a poset that speaks about the kohen waving. So we apply both to both. Um, so, ma kohen, kohen, the same way here, by by the sotas of Kohain, same by the Shlomim, Malalan Bailim Afkan Bailim. In the same way by the shlomim. We see the owner does the waving here to here as well by the sota, the owner does the waving, ha that and we do this not in two separate acts, but in one joint act, the kohen, puts it under the hands of the owner and waves it, makes sense that the owner is the one that is directly in contact with it, because it is like, coming from the owner, it represents, you know, it's connected to the owner, the kohen is the one that's doing the transition from the owner to now bring it to the altar, so his hands are underneath. Okay, now, fi now we get the debate about what is the order. So if the Gemara, you know, before we actually look at the question in the Pesukim, the Gemara actually says that the Mishnah is a little funny because the Mishnah says, um, you know, it says, it says he offered up the komets when it described the steps the Kohen took. And then it doubles back and said, oh, first he would have her drink and then he would bring the mincha. So the Gemara says, you know, what do you mean? He says you would offer it up, and then you say, nah, have her a drink, and then offer it up. You just said he offered it up, you know, he, put, he, he burnt the hand breath. So the Almighty says, no, hachi this is how you read the Mishnah. Seder mincha what is the ways of bringing the mincha? What are the steps that the Kohan does? You wave it, you touch it to the altar, you take the komets, and then you put it on the, on the fire. And then the rest would be in the Kohanim. That's what you do when you bring the mincha now we've discussed the mincha and, you know, and then the, and, and now let's talk that, about the mincha and the water and what are the order and the relationship there. Um, now regarding when the drinking takes place, you should be aware that that's a debate. The rabbis say, first she drinks and then you bring the mincha. So, at mincha s'av, no, first you bring the mincha and then she drinks. As the Pasuk says, and the Pasuk says, asked the mincha, the pasuk is explicit. It doesn't. It's not just the pasuk about the drinking comes after. The pasuk says, and after this, he will cause the woman to drink the water. Okay. But if Rabbi Shimon can see that if the order was reversed, first the drinking and then the mincha, it would be okay. Now. Now we are going to find out how the Chachamim could argue on Rebbe Shimon if the Pasuk is so explicit. And the reason is, is because the Pasuk is explicit, but it's also their multiple Pasukim, and it's confusing. So if you take a look at the Pasuk, um, we have the following. Okay, it says... Um, Okay, so it says, you know, he makes her take the oath. This is in Bamidbar. hey, let's start with You write it down and you scrape it in the water. He causes the woman to drink. He um, and the cursed water shall come in to be bitter. So it says, he has her drink. And then it says, he takes the mincha from her hand, veheiniv, he does the waving, the kamats, all those verbs in our Mishnah are verbs here in the Psukim. Okay, and then it says, Then he has the woman drink the water. And then it says again, He has her drink the water. If she was tamain if she committed adultery, the following will happen to her. So it says, after the waving, after this, he does the water, and then again says he'll drink the water, but it also said beforehand he scrapes it into the water and has her drink it. So how do you deal with those Pesukim? What do you do with that earlier pasuk? Okay, and the Chachamim even privileged the earlier pasuk. So let's take a look. Tana Banan, Okay? That, that, that is the, um, that's the Pasuk before the Mincha. The first time it says he should have her drink the water. Mal what does this mean? What is it indicating? Now it says v'hishka again. Now it says it already said, and Rashi has all discussion about the text, but it means it's going to say, it's going to say a second time after the Mincha, he will have her drink. What are we to make of this first vihishka, given that the Pasukim so much emphasized the drinking afterwards? Okay? She'im So Rabbi Akiva Akiva says, no, the point of the first one is not to tell you when. It says the Kohen scrapes it into the water and he causes her to drink the water. That doesn't mean now he causes her to drink the water. That's going to be after the Mincha. But it means once it's scraped in the water, then we're going to then you know come heck or high water. We're going to make sure she drinks it. It's being scraped in order that she should drink it. He says like in order that she should drink it, and we're going to make sure she's going to drink it. But it's not saying that now is when you do it. But it's in the context of the fact that it was scraped to teach you that once it is erased into the water, even if she does not want to, you like you know you 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 stir her up, you unsettle her, and, and get her to drink it, even against her will. Divrei Rabbi Akiva. Okay, but the real order is that it's going to be after. After the mincha, Reb, Reb Shimon says, "It says, afterwards have her drink. What is that teaching you? he should have her drink. ma'asim kulan After everything that was said above. So what does this mean Exactly. So this is really the continuation of Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Shimon work jointly. Rebbe Akiva says the first vihishka is not when it happens, but the, the reason of the scraping in the water and the fact that we're going to ensure that that happens eventually. And Rebbe Shimon says now that it says the v'achar that is to tell you that now is the time. After the mincha is brought, this is when the time that actually the drinking takes place. So the Gemara says... Only after you do everything that was said above, because clearly the Pesukim are indicating the order, then you do the drinking. What are the things? Three things have to come before the drinking takes place. Number one, the thing that's being debated in the Mishnah. First, the Komets, the handbreath has to be offered, the mint has to be offered beforehand, although we'll say Bidyeved, but certainly at the, you know, the way it's supposed to be, Bidyeved, you could reverse your but the way it's supposed to be done is the hand breath has to be offered. The A'kilo Nimcha Kamegillah, and you also can't have her drink until you erase, because it was also mentioned earlier in the Pasuk, you ha- you scrape off the words and then you have her drink. Of course, the Gemara is going to ask, it's not physically possible to drink it if it hasn't been scraped in. But okay, now we're focusing on the Pesukim, the book said, first scraping, then the drinking, so that also has to be first. The le Shvua. And also you have to do that he causes her to take the shvua, right? That even, you know, and she says, amen, amen. All those things are prerequisites before the drinking of the water. The achar is very clearly placing the drinking at the very end. Um, okay. Um, now the Gemara is going to analyze all these three. So the first point, it has to come after the Mincha Reb Shimon Reb Shimon is going according to his reasoning. Okay, that's exactly the Mishnah. First the Mincha, then the drinking, exactly as the Pesukim indicates. Um, um, now, number two, you can't drink before you scrape the, the, the words in. You erase the Megillah. So the Gemara says, Of course you can't. It's not physically possible. What are you going to have a drink if the ink hasn't been scraped in? In. So No, no, no. What it means is it has to be fully scraped in. Let's say you scrape the words in and you still have some marks on the page and you can still see, you know, a faded version of the words. It didn't get fully scraped in. The water won't work. It has to be fully erased, okay? So you can have a place where it was erased, but not fully erased. Um, okay, so, and... So, and the third thing is, is that she cannot, um, drink until she's done the shvuah she accepted the shvuah So Gmar says, that sounds like it sounds like she just can't drink before she's done the shvuah but that the uh, Megillah could be written. But it sounds like, you know, you could do everything else. You could write the Megillah. That didn't Rav say that if you wrote it before she accepted the shvuah it didn't it, it's not, it, it doesn't count at all. Right, the order of the Pesukim is, he makes her take the oath, she takes the oath, he writes down the words, and then he scrapes it in. That order has to be very precisely followed. So, you know, it's not just that the oath has to be before the drinking. The oath has to be before the writing. So the Gemara says, Kedinaspa. okay, you're right. That was just thrown in, you know, to get three because three is a much better number than two. There are three important points I want to make here. The human brain operates at, that three is a very wor- good word for remember, number for remembering more than two and more than four. The Gemara often says, we, fi- we, can understand, we, you know, we learn out from this case three things. And often Toso says, wait, those three really boil down to two. So it's sort of like here. Sometimes you just want to get three. All right. Anyway, uh, now the Gemara says like this. Okay. So that's from Shimon and Rabbi Akiva. When the pasuk says Vishka earlier, it just means for the purpose of having her drink. But the order is the drinking comes at the end. B'may kamiflegi. Now going back to our Mishnah. We have a Reb Shimon, Reb Yikiva joint position. What is Reb Shimon against the Chachamim? Why did the Chachamim in the Mishnah say that, um, that the drinking comes first? What do they do with v'achar yashkeh tishah? So let's take a look. What do they debate? Plus a cry xivi. So now the Gemara is going to look at the three pshukim that we've been discussing. Vhishka Kama, the first Vihishka before, before the minchas brought. Vahar Yashke. then after the minchas brought, it says afterwards the woman should drink. And then Vihishka basra. And then it says again, and he shall shall drink the water. Rabban Vishka Kama So the rabbis say, I'm going to go with the Tanakama, even though the puzzle says afterwards the woman will drink the water, I am going to follow, you know, if it says drink the water, the first time it says it, that's when it means it. The water is you know gets drunk here, before the mincha is brought. That's where it says in the Psuki, Vishka, and only afterwards it talks about the mincha. So what about it says, afterwards he shall have the woman drink the water? That's just to tell you a separate halacha, not to tell you the order, but it's telling you, after you, f- the, by the way, okay, you had to drink the water, you had to bring the mincha, let's double back for a minute, you know, the drinking of the water can only be after you fully do everything that came before it, meaning, going back to the point we said before, you have to fully scrape the Megillah, you can't have some, you know, pale writing left behind. So it's really telling you a parenthetical point, everything that came before this water has to be done before you drink the water, but actually, it's the water and then the mincha vishka basra now what about the last vishka it says vishka twice after the mincha and nevertheless the rabbis are saying neither of those are telling you order that's tell you the teaching of Rabbi Akiva so we hop in the two teachings of the previous breita the rishumo nikar and the teaching of Rabbi Akiva okay which is to tell you again drink the water means there's going to be times we're going to force her to drink the water once it's been erased even if she says she won't we basically force her to so yes we learn how three things from the psukim, but with the same three things, as it were, but we're going to focus on the first got to tell you that comes first, even though, again, the pshad of the psukim very much militates against that. All right, so now the Gemara says, that's the Rabbanu. Reb Shimon Savar, no. Reb Shimon says, I don't care that a yashke is not the first time it says drink. It's very explicit. After this, you drink. That's the literal one. That's telling you the order. First the, drink, first the mincha, then the drinking. Um, Lugufo. Shema kivet minchasa vachach First to the mincha, and then she drinks. kama. How about the first Hishka? And now we're getting back to Rabbi Akiva. Shim hishka vacha. Oh, actually, Rabbi Akiva says that means that we would force her. Rabbi Shimon has a different version. This is to get his position in the mission of Bidi Evid. Shim hishka vacha chikri Min minchasa ksheva okay, that if, it, it, it could be, it will work if he does it now. So it's almost like it says, you know, he scrapes it in, v'ishka'tamayim, even if you were to v'ishka'tamayim now, we could still go forward and you could bring the mincha, but really, the real drinking should be afterwards. So it says Hishka before to tell you that at least bid the Eved it works. All right? The Hishka Bazna, the last Hishka, that goes back to Rabbi Akiva. That's to tell us that, you know, we're going to make her drink it. There will be a time when we're going to actually force her to drink it and we won't take no for an answer. So you have the v'achar, to be the literal, after, Vishka earlier to tell you b'dievet it'll work if it comes before the mincha, and this last one to tell you their times are just going to make sure that this happens. Okay. rabbanan b'dievet lo patach kra. And the rabbis say, no, I refuse to accept that, even though it says v'achar yashkeh, the pasuk would not it would not begin with the Bidievet case, mentioning the drinking before the mincha. Because it mentions drinking before the mincha, it must be that that is the chila case. So, you know, it might have been better if he would have read that like Rebbe Akiva, because you hear the argument. Why would it, if it meant Bidievet, this works, why would that be the first way it frames it? But for Rebbe Akiva, the, it's better pshat. It just means he should erase it in order that Vishkan and we're going to ensure that Vihishka. Okay, but that's why they push back against Rebbe Shimon, because he reads this as, as um, he reads this as what he as um, as b'dieven. Um Okay, now the savor Rabbi Akiva matiling nusah bal Now in this bright that we quoted, not in the Mishnah, we said Rabbi Kiva said you do it against her will. Is that really Rabbi Akiva's position? Vatanya Rabbi Yehuda Omer kalbus shel barzel matiling nusach pia. Rabbi Yehuda said that you would put like a metal, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, like a. A metal hook, like made up, it's you know, it's an iron sort of thing to keep the mouth open, to wed, to force the mouth open. Um, something like, you know, in the jaws, to separate the jaws, um, they would put into her mouth, um, because if, in the case where after the Megillah was erased, she said, I'm not going to drink, that will will force her, will, her jaws open with this metal device and will force her to drink. Um, I'm a Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Akiva said, wait, no, I don't agree with that. The purpose of erasing God's name, I understand you're saying like, God's name shouldn't have been erased for no." Not. And if we're already gonna erase God's name, then it has to have been for a purpose, so we're gonna force her to drink. And that, But Rabbi Akiva says, but look, the purpose was served. The fear of the water got her to admit. So we've achieved the purpose. The only reason we're doing this is Um, to test and to see whether she committed adultery. So she's admitting that she did it. So, okay, the water achieved their goal. Why are we going to force her, you know, just because the name was erased? Now, Ella, so rather, Rabbi Akiva says, But Rabbi Akiva interestingly does concede for some reason, and the question is why is this going to be any different? Once the comets was brought, then she can't say no. Then we're going to force her to drink. Again, having the drink and come later. Before it, she can say no. So the question is, I don't get it. Same point. Once she's saying that she refuses to drink, she's implicitly admitting. So the waters have served their purpose. Why do you, Rebbe Akiva, make a distinction before after the mincha is brought? Okay, so uh, let's take a look. So the Gemara says, you know, so anyway, this was brought as a proof that Rebbe Akiva rejects the idea of forcing her. But the Gemara pushes back. What do you mean? It's very clear he holds forcing her, just at a different time. According to you, says Gemara, you know, you, the, 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 the bright itself doesn't make sense. That Rabbi Akiva says, you know, yeah, you're right, we are going to force her, but only after the comets was brought. So, you know, but she's already based, implicitly confessed. So if that's what he holds before the comments, he should hold it after. So let's first understand, you know, Redikiva Kiva does hold you four, sir he just draws the line in a different place. Let's understand why he's drawing the line here. Um, so the Gemara says like this, lo had hadaka mahmas b'machmas resisa, mahmas b'machmas priyusa. The question is, is her, um, you know, saying she won't drink, is that really an implicit confession? You know, maybe we've just done such a good job at terrifying her that she's going to refuse to drink even though she's innocent. So that's the case we're concerned about. If we knew that she was implicitly admitting it, certainly everybody agrees that if she says I'm guilty, that we don't make her drink. Then we all agree, even though the name was erased, it served its purpose, she admitted. So the question is, do we, in her saying I refuse to drink, Rabbi Akiva says, I'm not sure I always hear in that, her admitting her guilt. It depends what the context is. If she's like trembling and the fear is obvious, so, you know, people out of fear don't, aren't thinking rationally, and therefore it might not be an admission of guilt. We just really, you know, scared the bejeebas out of her. But if, however, she's calm and collected and says, I'm not going to, then it's we understand that that's implicitly, she's not terrified, She but she understands what's at stake here, and she doesn't want the water to do their job. So whether it's an implicit admission depends on whether it's out of fear or out of a calm disposition. Okay, so let's take a look. V'achikomer, here's what Rabbi Akiva says. Whenever he is doing it, when he rejects the position of Rabbi Yehuda, that we force her, Rabbi Akiva says, look, If she's refusing to do it in a calm, collected way, then we do not force her. That is an implicit admission. So I will never force her in that case. That's when he sounds categorical. However, there are cases, I'll consider it, and I will do it, but that, that depends on the following. Ritita, if he's trembling then already it's not necessarily an admission and here's where I'm going to draw the line before the Komets is brought that number one it might be before the Megillah was even brought it wasn't even erased but that's not really the point or that the Megillah was scraped but the Kohanim did not do the right thing because they erased it so what does this mean? The Kohanim did incorrectly. I mean, the Pesukim have it being erased and then the Mincha being brought. But what Rashi explains is that since Rabbi Akiva is of the position that you know they're going to be ta- well, since everybody sort of feels we don't want the name, God's name to be erased in vain, so we want to delay the erasing as much as possible. So um, so basically, yes, the Mincha and the erasing have to happen before the drinking, but the erasing doesn't have to happen before the Mincha. Again, not the order of the p'sukin. So the Gemara here is assuming, as Rashi explains, that it should be mincha and then erasing. Okay? And therefore, in this case, the Kohanim erased before the Mincha was being brought. Okay? Uh, so so in that case, the mach, so, uh, the the uh, Kedin of the Kohanim, the Machki, they shouldn't have erased it um, before the Mincha was being brought. Matzi Hadrabah. So she has her fear. It might not be an admission. And anyway you know, she had more time available to her, and the reason she doesn't have this time is because the Kohanim jumped the gun, so therefore we will allow her to back out without forcing her to drink. But once the Komet was offered, and then it was erased, everything was done properly, The that they erased it, there we are, there because she's trembling, we think that, th- we cannot assume that this is an admission, she just might be irrationally afraid, and therefore, ironically, because she's afraid, we're going to force her to drink because we can't implicitly assume it's an admission. So what do we have? We have a debate. Rabbi Yehuda says we'll always force her. Rabbi Akiva says if she's calm, it's an admission, and we won't. Everybody agrees when it's an explicit admission, we won't. Okay, if she's trembling, it depends before or after the mincha based on whether we erased it a little bit too soon. So now, the, and that's why Rabbi Akiva earlier also was able to say that we sometimes force her from the word v'hishka because he concedes that there are cases we force her. Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva. So now, okay, the two Rabbi Akivas, though, the first part that we quoted in this don't exactly agree on what the line was. Hasamar mechika ma'akva. In the earlier place, he said that as soon as it's a race, here it says ma'ake, but it means, you know, that determines whether or not she's going to drink. As soon as it's a race, we're going to force her to drink. And here he says that only after the burning of the hand breath, are we going to force her to drink? Um, and uh, also, here, at least the way they understand that he makes a distinction between calm and nervous. Trade Fine, there's a debate of Tanay and where Rabbi Akiva's line was in terms of forcing her to drink. Now, they ask the following question. Let's say the woman is calm and collected and she says, I'm not going to drink. And now Rabbi Akiva, you know, maybe she waited until now because she thought her husband wasn't going to get to this point. Okay, but now Rabbi Akiva says, okay, then that's an implicit admission. All right? So she says, I'm not going to drink. Rama shows something. Then she says, you know what? I changed my mind. I am going to drink. Mahu, what's the halacha? Do we let her drink? Since she's saying, I'm not going to drink, she's implicitly saying that she has committed adultery. That's at least the way Rebbe Akiva reads it. Once she established herself that she had committed adultery, she can't retract it. You know, um, that uh, that's an interesting question in general about a wife admitting that she committed adultery to her husband and the, you know, the implications when somebody says that this is my halachic status, that you start to get like stuck with that. Uh, the fact that the Gemara uses the word like the You know, somehow there's a whole question here about are we sort of making this a judicial procedure? And it didn't sort of, um, you know, use more uh, halachic isser status, like you establish the halachic status of something to be, rather than she testified against herself. Normally you can't testify against yourself. So anyway, because she established her status, therefore she cannot retract it. Or do we say, uh, Or no, maybe once she said I'm going to drink, it shows you that no matter how much somebody looks calm and collected, you don't really know why they're saying they're not going to do it. Is it because they're guilty, or is it because even with their innocent, you know, they're afraid. So Oh, and, may, and now maybe that she's prepared to do it. You see that that wasn't really an admission. She didn't say it explicitly. So in hindsight, we're not going to read it that way, and we are going to let her drink. Take it. We don't know. am says the father. Shmuel the water has to actually you have to take something bitter some bitter tasting you know uh, uh, additive into, into the water why my time me marim kvar it says she shall you know scrape it into the bitter waters and not and it also says mitabream that caused curse but what makes them bitter so he says the bitterness is not um, is not um, what do you call it is not because of the curses that were scraped in the bitterness is independent of it and that it have to already be bitter. Okay, so we will end here at the Mishnah.